Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you decide to listen to this. Welcome to 11 Pieces of Meat, a show where we have guests come on to talk about their favourite players. They get to choose their formation, 11 players to fill the positions, with the only rule and only caveat we have is all players must be retired. I'm your host, Ali, and joining me this evening as my co-host, I have Dave Black. Dave, how are we? Hello, mate. I'm very well, thank you. I'm uh, glad to be stepping into Ryan's shoes for this one. Yeah, well, it's Ryan Ross. Well, it dep- depends on the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. The boss man double boot. Somebody's shoes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you're you're the the knowledgeable one on this one. Um, so I will be passing most of that uh, guest um, this players onto you for knowledge. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> See how it goes. <laughs> and joining us as our guest for this evening, it's. Um, the, the weekend of you team back together. Uh, Simon O'Regan. Simon, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. How is, how is putting your team together? Uh, <laughs> a lot more difficult than I'd originally anticipated. Um, as as we stand at the moment, there's still one or two positions <laughs> that I'm not 100% sure on yet, so it may just be a, a toss of the coin. The biggest problem I've had is... Um, Trying to not overfill it with Villa players, <laughs> uh, which has been difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard when those are the players you truly, truly love, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the ones I grew up with as well. So yeah, it's, it's tough, but I think I think I'm settled on my team now. Oh, fair, fair. Right. So for anyone new to the show, it genuinely is just a bit of fun. So the guests get to pick their, their eleven players. They're not necessarily the best players in the world, um, although most are. Um, it's just about players who have meant something to them or gave them memories growing up. All players must be retired, as I say, and we asked the guest to pick a captain. So, Simon, what formation have you chosen? <clears throat> I've gone for a four-four-two with a midfield diamonds. Four-four-two. I like it. I like it. Right. Well, take us away with your goalkeeper then. Okay. So the goalkeeper was actually one of the most easiest decisions uh, to make. And I've gone with uh, the colourful character that is Mark Bosnich as my goalkeeper. Um, obviously, the first, I mean, the first bit of game that I went to was, I think, maybe 95 or 96. So he was firmly the first choice then. And um, he, was, he was just a bit of a nutter, really. But I think what people have kind of sort of forgotten about Bozic and, uh, because of his sort of uh, what happened in the late years of his career was 
just how good a goalkeeper he was, especially at Aston Villa. Um, you know, when when it came to him eventually leaving, uh, obviously he went to Man U, but I know Roma, who at that time, the late 90s, were a very good, very big team. They they were quite keen on taking him as well. Um, he just His, his penalty-saving ability was unbelievable. Um, I remember one of my sort of first real memories, um, the 1994, the 93-94 season, we won the Coca-Cola Cup, as it was known back then. And in the semi-final, we drawn against Tranmere, which you'd think would be, that's quite a nice draw for, you know, top as we were at the time, a top four, top five Premier League team, to, to get a lower league team like Tranmere. But unbelievably over two legs, that had to be settled on a penalty shootout. And um, Bosnich, Paul, I think he actually saved the penalty, if memory serves correct, during normal time as well. And then he saved, I think it was two or three more in uh, in the actual shootout as well. So that sort of cemented his, his status amongst Villa fans then. Um, he couldn't kick, so there's no way he'd be a keeper now in the modern age. He'd been able to play the ball <laughs> at his feet because his kicking out was horrendous. But this was back in the day when all you wanted your keeper to do was to be a great shot stopper. And he... He was still now. If, if I was doing like my all-time Villa eleven of best goalkeepers, it's still there's no one that can. Well, apart from maybe Friedel, he's the only one who might push him. Bosic for me, he he's still the best keeper I've seen play for Villa. He, he was he was brilliant at that time. Yeah, for, first time he's been he's been on the show, Dave. Mark Bosnich for yourself. Yeah, well, obviously he was a nut job. I mean, my. <laughs> A couple of daft memories about Mark Bosnich. Can you remember um, the match on Sky One, where which was the, they put the celebrities up against um, eleven real players, like you know, like former pros, and for some reason the the, the celebrities had Mark Bosnich playing in goal for them. Um, <laughs> but, but he lasted about twenty minutes before he, I think he pulled his groin or something. So um, bald comedian Terry Alden had to go on in goal for seventy odd minutes. So that's that, that's an odd memory of Mark Bosnich. But um, I also remember, and you, Sai, you might remember this. Um, Newcastle's first game after Kevin Keegan left was at Villa Park and um, Mark Bosnich went to kick a clearance out and like, I think it was Shearer pulled his arm slightly and he just like f- sort of like slipped over as he kicked the ball away and then Lee, Lee Clark was chipped in an empty net and it was so odd Like <laughs> I do remember that yeah that's Alan Shearer getting away with Alan Shearer things well even if he pulled his arm it wouldn't cause him to fall over like that it was ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> no he had um, yeah the, the, there were a few Fewer uh, dodgy moments as well. I don't know if any of you guys remember a, g- a game against Tottenham. I think it was at White Hart Lane when um, the ball Tottenham were on the attack and they put it over the top and Jurgen Klinsmann was running clean through. And Bosnich just came out and absolutely fucking levered him on the edge of the box. <laughs> and I'm not 100%. I, I can't quite remember, but I've got a feeling that he didn't even get sent off for it. Which was, you know, ridiculous, and and then he, you know, a, a blot on his copybook. Then uh, in the reaction to Klinsmann's quite right protest against him, he did a he did a Nazi salute sign, and yeah. again somehow got. I don't really remember any massive punishment for that either. It was, it was a very different time back in the mid nineties. I think. Yeah. Well, as we've learned from Wayne Hennessy, if you just ask who Hitler is, you'll get away. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I remember that. So I'm sure he only was fine for that as well. I did, think, yeah, there was no suspension. I was going to say, did he go back? He was at Chelsea a few years later, wasn't he? And I'm sure he went to White Hart Lane and got dogs abused for the whole match. But he, I'm sure he played like out of his skin and kept a clean sheet. I don't remember that happening. Might be wrong, but vague memory of that. I forgot yeah. he went to Chelsea, didn't he? The and the. In the the sub goalkeeper role, Elvin Elvin thousands of pounds a week. He did all right for himself at the end of his career. Well, he he, he got a um, he got a cocaine ban, I think, as well when he was at Chelsea. Uh, and that, like, that that's what I mean when when I say cause obviously he went to United uh, again after Villa. And it didn't work out there. It didn't work out at Chelsea. And yeah, South, I think is you can't forget, especially if, you know if you're just not quite that right age. You'd forget just what good keeper he was when he was at Villa in the mid nineties. Yeah, and, and the amount of good keepers were about at that point as well. He's probably overlooked by you know more fanciable names. Um, yeah, no, yeah. That, that's a solid first choice. I like that. Okay, um, uh, good start. <laughs> yeah, let's let, let's start with your well, not start with your. Let's go to your right back next. Okay, so the right back. Um, I was just because. I, I thought it might wind you up. I was so, so tempted to go for the Scottish Cafu, the legend that is Alan Hudson. But, uh, but, but I won't. But it will be another Villa, ex-Villa right back. Um, and it's one that you may surprise either. If you, I'll just say the name and see if there's an instant reaction from either of you two. Mark Delaney. Oh, dear. Really? <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, this is my thing with Delaney. I, for me, and, you know, this is probably just my bit of bias, but a lot of my mates who, are, who I've been going down for years with, they all agree, he's one of the most underrated players that's played for Villa in, in the Premier League era. As a right-back, it was nothing flash about him, nothing fancy, but he was just your solid, guaranteed 7 out of 10 minimum every week. I, I very honestly, very rarely saw him have a bad game. Slide tackling is one of the best slide tacklers I've seen down Villa Park. He loves a good side change. He timed them all to perfection. And it was a real shame, kind of, towards the end of his career. Because he, he retired, I think he was only 30 or 31, when he had to retire. And one time, when he was maybe 27 or something, um, James McEverley, who's uh, he's a youngster coming through at the time at Blackburn, absolutely like assaulted Delaney basically took him out of the knees and he just never really recovered from it um but since since he retired back in 2005 or 6 it was he he joined our coaching setup initially with the under 10s and over the last sort of 15 years he's worked his way up he's now the under 23s manager um yeah so it's, it's not a particularly flashy name or anything like that but for me he was he was such an underrated good solid player who, who never let us down and I don't know I've just always had a soft spot for him well Dave you made that <laughs> you made the noise I'll, I'll let you take it away from here uh, well I mean I can't profess to have seen him you know every week like Sai has so we'll, we'll trust Sai's better judgment on it would you like a quote from uh, John Gregory's time as Aston Villa manager regarding Mark Delaney <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> um, so Delaney credits John Gregory with improving his performances during his early career with Villa. 
Gregory singled out Delaney during his seventh appearance for the side, describing him as playing like a tart during the half-time team talk. <laughs> De- 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 Delaney went on to score the only goal of the game in the second half, as, as Aston Villa beat Watford 1-0. So there you go. And uh, to be fair, that goal as well, I remember it was 20 yards half volley from the, the right-hand side of the penalty area. Beautiful strike. Well, there you go. If any aspiring managers listen, just <laughs> t- tell your player they're playing like a tart. And, well, the rest is history. Well, John Gregory, I mean, he some of the bloody things that he used to come out with when he was at Aston Villa was... Uh, he, he, he was another character, that's for sure. It just seems like Aston Villa in the 90s were full of characters here, Simon. Well, it was the glory days, wasn't it? It was when you were, it was when you were allowed characters in football. You was, know. There was obviously the banter club we all missed out on by the sound of it. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> to be fair, I grew up with the Spice Boys, do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> as you say, characters in the 90s were, um, were right up there. Um, well, no surprise, Simon, that uh, Delaney is also a... A first-time pick. Yeah, <laughs> you shock me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, who's your who's your left back? Left back. Uh, well, he's now. This is someone that I think we'll all know. It's uh, it's Ashley Cole, and the reason I've gone for Ashley Cole is I like I, I get that people for you know various different reasons don't particularly like him as a person, and you know I I, I don't really have any strong feeling either way from him as a person as a footballer I think he is one of the best left backs I've, I've seen play well in, in world football um, I think there was a period of about 10 years uh, through like sort of most of the noughties where I think you could genuinely say he was the best left back playing the game and I personally think in that so-called golden generation that England's had, for me, I think he was the only person that I would say was genuinely world-class in terms of his performances for his country in every tournament. He's, he's the only one that generation who you couldn't say, that you couldn't pick a tournament to say he had a bad tournament that year. He never let the country down. I, I think it's a shame that he, from his foot, in terms of pure footballing ability... It's kind of a shame that he doesn't get sort of the the I don't know what's what's the right word the, the, the sort of love or admiration from England fans as I think he, as I think a part of his ability deserved. Um, you know, you, you think back to especially I think the Euro two thousand four and then the World Cup in two thousand six when you know Cristiano Ronaldo was an unbelievable talent and Ashley Cole had him in his back pocket in in both games which. That, that takes some doing to stop a player of Ronaldo's ability. Um, you look at the amount of trophies he won in his career, you know, number of leagues. He, he, I think he, he won pretty much everything that he could have won as a player, uh, certainly from a club point of view. Um, and just a phenomenal... He sort of, in a way, that the transition from the old school, you know, full-back of the 90s, which was, you know, mainly defend if they can get forwards, great, but all he wants to do is defend. Ashley Cole was that, for me, the first sort of modern day, what you refer to as a modern day fullback. For me, Ashley Cole was the first one to really bring that into the prominence. And in the Premier League? In the Premier League, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. 
for me, he's the he's he's hands down the best left back the Premier League's had. Um, I thought he was excellent, um, and obviously, especially that that those Chelsea years when when Jose took over and, and Chelsea really were a proper force. Um, Ashley Cole was was huge at that time. Um, I think he gets the credit he deserves, as in a football ability-wise. I just don't think a lot of people see him as a very likable person. <laughs> yeah, I, that's nothing to do with his football ability, though. That that's what I mean. So I, I think you know when 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 people talk about like great England players, he would he would rarely get a mention, and I I don't think I think you're right. I don't think people would say that because of his footballing ability. But I think they they let maybe their personal opinions of him clouds their thinking when it comes to thinking of great England players because for me he's probably been the, the most consistent best performer um, over you know, it's the same period of time for the, for the national team since I've been following them yeah, yeah no arguments for me Dave Ashley Cole for yourself mate yeah no I totally agree with Sai I think uh, 107 caps for England he's you know doesn't, really, yeah. doesn't ever really get mentioned as being you know one of the the greatest players we've produced in our in our era, really. Um, Comfortably, yeah. And uh, as you say, Euro 2004, I remember, obviously lost to Portugal on pens, but he was 10 out of 10 that night, completely. Um, I always remember being a really good penalty taker as well. I don't know if that's... Yeah. That's I, 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 the same thing, yeah. I, I think he took a penalty in that shoot. I think he, he took a few penalties in shootouts, and he also took one when Chelsea beat Bayern Munich um, in 2012, is it, to win the Champions League? Yeah, I always remember him being a, a decent penalty taker. Yeah, I think he'll still always be remembered for that Roma photo more than anything, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Might be the greatest photo I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's funny, because, see, when you watch him on, on other TV shows, like, like the James Corden one, uh, legal zone and all that. He, he actually comes across as quite a nice guy, but he, he has just got that proper mercenary. Obviously, moving from Arsenal to Chelsea just didn't do his reputation any good at all at the time. Um, no, but, but when you think, even then, like you look back now and you think, well, why why do people still look at that as a bad thing for him to do? Look what he won when he, wanted, when he went to Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. That's what you've got to think, like. He was on the inside of that Arsenal dressing room, and he probably knew that the cycle was over. It was time to time to go. If, if someone like Chelsea came along, you weren't going to turn that down, were you? I, I don't think. With hindsight, yeah. he really good, would have got the stick. Especially certainly if he did it like these days. I think uh, there's a lot more sort of um, leeway for letting people go to what's obviously a better option. But if I'm not, yeah. mis- if I'm not mistaken, was it not like quite a lot of? To and fro and about the whole transfer. She went behind uh, yeah. something, didn't he? Yeah, I think the I can't actually, I can't remember the exact details now, but I remember it, it was was quite a protracted move, wasn't it? It sort of dragged over a couple of transfer windows, I think. If my memory serves me right. It was a long time ago now. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just reading it now and uh, they couldn't agree a fee until um Chelsea through um, William Gallas in the deal, which obviously secured the uh, the, the move. So, so there you go. <laughs> Arsenal have always loved great defenders, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I was actually shocked to to read Ashley Cole. This is the first time he's been picked, but I forgot he's actually just retired, doesn't he? He's the yeah. and then the 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 Derby experiment. Um, I think he played ha- play a final of the Derby, possibly against Villa, did he? He did, yes. Yeah, yeah um, he 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 got sort of torn apart by Albert Adoma, so I think that might show you these powers were waning. <laughs> Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy with that pick. Just Ashley Cole is one of my favourite left backs. Favourite footballers to watch is, as you guys said, the, the 2004 uh, tournament with England. He's probably one of England's most consistent performers, especially in big tournaments. Um, and he, he, he never let Chelsea down um, during his time there. Um, I, I enjoy that. So, centre back. Who's your first centre back of the day? First centre back, uh, I've gone, for, and this was actually again a, another fairly quick one to come up with. Uh, Tony Adams, um, I, I kind of uh, when I first started playing football as a kid, I, I played as a defender, and I just I, I I loved watching Tony Adams. I just thought he was he was such a leader on the pitch, and my first. In England tournaments I can properly remember was uh, Euro 96 and he was I believe he was made captain for that tournament I think and um, obviously you know that oh, so I was nine years old so sort of just getting into football and it was a great tournament for England you know obviously you've got to the semis and that I just remember just, you watch Tony and the passion that he had uh, the pride that he had in, in leading out his country but he wasn't I think you can kind of you maybe you think of Tony Adams and you think of you know that chest out stalwart you know real stalwart pride passion, but he was a very good footballer as well, which a lot of centre backs certainly kind of in the early mid nineties, you didn't in in the Premier League anyway you you rarely saw your centre backs being actually good players as well. They were more you know just head it, kick it out, get rid, but he could play a bit and. Um, I think it was when I think Arsene Benger in the first title they won with him, and I think they beat Everton. You're like this, Ali. They beat Everton. I think four nil to uh, to seal the title. And Tony Adams, he got the fourth goal. He, he got it out from the back, passed into midfield, and like Forrest Gump, just kept on running. <laughs> I think it was unbelievably Steve Boulder. I think chipped the ball over. The back line and Adams just took it down on his chest, left foot half volley. Um, but yeah, as I said, as a defender as well, and the sort of character he had as well to to come back from you know some quite big setbacks. Obviously, he wasn't perfect. You know, went to jail for drink driving, um, and I think early on in his career, I believe in Euro '88, um, I think he had quite a tough time in that tournament and kind of got a bit of stick. He's made up captain of Arsenal at quite a young age. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the sort of the character of the man, and then to battle back, you know, to battle from his sort of alcoholism, um, which I think came to a head in, after Euro 96. And then he went on to win another couple of league titles and, and FA Cups later on in his career. Um, I just, I, just one of my favourite players uh, that I remember growing up watching. Yeah, proper epitome of that one club man. 14 years as captain, 504 appearances, uh, captain at 21. You know, it's just, yeah, just for me, the, he'll always be just renowned as that, you know, that famous back four. Um, yeah. 
Dixon winter burning ball. Um, you know, the offside trap, the, the George Green 1-0 team. I mean, that's... When you think, like, of Arsenal now, like, how they could do with that back four, even at the age they're at. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. <laughs> uh, I mean, Dave, I mean, how much more could you add on Tony Adams that, like, everybody's probably spoke about in life? He just, he generally is one of those proper stalwarts as a centre-half, isn't he, when you compare young guys nowadays. Yeah, I mean, in the words of Martin Tyler, that, that sums it all up. He was uh, he was brilliant. Um, as you say, he came over quite a few problems in his career, but uh, he always came back stronger, which I think is, is testament to him. And, you know, there's, you can't speak any higher of him than when he, when he retired, Arsenal didn't give a number six shirt to anybody um, for a couple of seasons until Philip Sendros came along. So re- reading that what you were. <laughs> oh, God, that's just upset me. <laughs> <laughs> We, we did mention about Arsenal's defence, though, Simon. Just let's not... Just yeah. <laughs> I genuinely believe Dixon, Winterburn, Bold and Adams could, could train for three months and maybe start <laughs> at that Arsenal team. Um, it's it, it must be must be torrid for Arsenal fans thinking of that four to, to the four um, just now. Um, and, I mean, most teams would cry out for a, for a Tony Adams, but... I mean, Arsenal more so than anybody. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think, yeah, as you say, that that sort of back four that he was part of, uh, you know, with Seaman as well as back five, was, the old champ was, you know, boring, boring Arsenal, 1-0 to the Arsenal. But that's because that defence, it was that good a defence that they just needed one goal to win a game. And, and he he was the heart of that, wasn't he? Yeah. So does Tony Adams make your captain or is captain still to come? Uh Captain is still to come, but he still he was come. he was one of my sort of choices I was mulling about for the captain, but no, he he's not my captain. Interesting, interesting. So who's partnering Tony Adams to make up this? Uh so it's partner him. It's uh it's surprise, surprise, it's another Villa player. Um it's always initially just initially I was going to go for Paul McGrath but I didn't see him enough to really I think justify it I only caught the back end of his career so but the player I have gone for is uh, Hugo Ekiog and the reason I've gone for him is he was he was sort of one of my first Villa heroes when I first started going he was this big powerful defender great pace um such so strong in the tackle, dominant in the air. He he kind of he was unfortunate that he was playing in an era uh, in sort of you know, the mid late nineties when England were just blessed with so many good central defenders. That I think I think he only got maybe two or three England caps. Um, which you know if he was. If he was playing nowadays, he'd be the first name on the team sheets because you know we just don't have the defenders like we used to. But um, also, I, one of the reasons why I picked him as well is obviously he very sadly uh, sort of passed away a couple of years ago. And I, I remember when when I heard I I was working down in London. I've been working down during the night, and I didn't get back home till maybe four in the morning, five in the morning, and I went to bed and woke up, and I saw the news, and I was I was. I was surprised at how much it kind of affected me because it was sort of, they say he was one of my first Villa heroes. He was one of my first footballing heroes that had died and sort of died at such a young age and I just sort of remembered just how good he was. And I also then remembered that 
I actually met him uh, once in a nightclub in Birmingham. Uh, there's, there's any anyone who's listening, who, you know, from in and around Birmingham, they'll know the nightclub. It's, it's called Meet You, and it's where all the footballers went. I've, I've sadly met quite a few footballers in there, and haven't always kept my cool when I've been talking to them. But I managed, <laughs> I managed to stay calm, and I, you know, I saw. You, you, you know, Hugo Eckert is such a big guy. You, you, you know, you, you, you notice him when he walks into the room. He has such a presence. I remember just like going up and I thought, oh, you know, I'll probably only get 20 seconds or something to say a quick hello to him. But he actually sort of like talked to me for maybe two or three minutes. And like, I mean, luckily enough, I wasn't so pissed then. So I think had I been leathered, he may have told me to jog on. But he was just a really, really nice guy as well. Like really quite... A, quite quiet and sort of the came across as you know very sort of quietly spoken and quite shy which seems so strange because when you watch him on the on the pitch he does say he was so powerful and yeah just he was a really 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 good footballer yeah i mean my memories of him are are not very much to be honest um, obviously he signed for rangers up here um and he, his first goal um, was in an old forum game. Uh, I remember. Yeah. We're opening kick straight into the top corner. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was Boric who was in goal at the time still. Um, just phenomenal. Just out of nowhere. Um, I think it was his only goal in Scotland as well. So I think that just that just summed him up. Um, I mean, Dave, memories of Ekiog for yourself? Yeah, he was always, always very good. Um, without being disrespectful to Villa or any of the clubs he went to, I think it was always expected he was going to get a sort of a bigger move to like a Champions League club at some point just never never quite materialised possibly as you say because of how, how much competition there was in uh, in England for, for, as, as top centre-backs but it's nice from there so he got his, his only England goal at Villa Park um, he'd left Villa at the time but still must have been it's been great and nice from Yeah I, I, I was at that game as well and I, cause I think he only just I think that's this may be the, the summer before that game he'd left to go to Middlesbrough which I think, you know, a few Villa fans, myself included, I'm not going to lie, were a bit sour <laughs> at because we thought, you know, they, as you say, he was him and Gareth Southgate who also went to Middlesbrough. They were the type of players that you thought, if they're going to leave Villa, they should really be going on to, you know, bigger and better clubs and playing European football, not to go to Middlesbrough. And so I remember when, when he, he came on at half-time in that England game and there was obviously, it was at Villa Park, so there was a lot of, there was quite a few Villa fans in there. And the interest in that game is Fenyon Eriksson's first game in charge of uh, England as well. And when when he when he was announced, uh, you know, the substitute coming on, there was stupidly there, there was a, sma- a small smattering of boos um, from obviously some disgruntled Villa fans there. But then he powered in a header, and it was it was it was like okay, everything's forgiven. You're all right, you go. We we, we do still love you. <laughs> England fans booing their own. I've never. Uh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Kieran Dyer played for England up at Newcastle when he was a Newcastle player and he got booed on the pitch. So, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't you just love international football? <laughs> um, right, Simon, how are you doing your midfield? What were you looking at? Okay, so, yes, yes I've got midfield diamonds. So, my player at the base of the diamonds, and it's the first player to have not applied his trade in the Premier League uh, it's Andre Pirlo oh. and the reason I've gone for him is I uh, I just 
absolutely loved watching him in that AC Milan uh, Milan team in sort of the noughties. Um, you know, Champions League football is obviously something I've never got to experience down at Villa Park. So I've had to get my fix from watching it on my TV and Sky over the years. And I just, I, I remember him, I think the 2003 Champions League final at Old Trafford's, I think, that AC Milan won on penalties. It was a dog of a game. But I, I do remember that was probably maybe one of the first times that I sort of properly noticed him. And he just, the way he sprayed passes about was unbelievable. And obviously that AC Milan scene, you know, in, around that time, especially in, in that sort of uh, mid-noughties era, was just full of gifted players. And he, for me, he he just sort of orchestrated everything from that sort of deep-line midfield role. He, his range of passing was just unbelievable. Um I mean, even even though it was at England's expense in Euro 2012, that cheap, the balls on him to do that cheeky little Penenka penalty uh, during the shootout. I mean, I mean he, he just did everything with class. And I, I kind of always thought to myself, I, I'd love to see him live. And I, I did get the chance to see him. It was, it was at the back end of his career, well, very back end of his career. Um, so in 2016, I was uh, the family holiday. We were in New York. And so I said to my mum and dad and my brother, I was like, let's see if, if New York City are playing at home the the, uh, the weekend that we're there, just on the off chance. And they happened to be playing LA Galaxy that weekend. So I was like, come on, let's, we've got to get tickets for it. So we went to the Yankee Stadium and I was in New York City. I think they had Pirlo, David Villa playing for them. LA Galaxy had Ashley Cole, um, Robbie Keane, Steven Gerrard, Nigel De Jong. So... It's kind of, you know, sort of play, play, players from the Premier League that were past, past their best, clearly. But against the sort of standard of other players, they were still looking really good. And I just remember, what I just watched Pirlo from the moment he kicked off to the 90th minute. I was just watching him for the whole game. And as every time he got the ball, he, he didn't give the ball away once. And he was pinging 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 yard passes. All of them, inch perfect, and he was just, just magnificent footballer to watch. I was so glad, I was so glad that I got the chance to see him live. Yeah, I think as you say, we're most probably most known for obviously the the Juventus time for obviously all the most most recent football fans. But yeah, that Milan team, um, especially in the early early noughties, was just was really special. Um, I mean, Dave, through, through your champion, championship manager exploits, you must love this man. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's weird because uh, on the, the very early championship I play, he, um, he's, he's a left winger. So it's odd how his career <laughs> kind of developed. He went, kind of got further and further back as he got older, which isn't that uncommon. But you would never fancy him playing on the wing. He never really had massive, <laughs> massive pace, did he? Um, but as you say, just an incredible passer of football. And it's... It's very Italian, isn't it, to play for like Inter, AC, and Juventus, and it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like actually, cool, had death threats over that. But... <laughs> uh, it's it's one thing. It's strange about the. Uh, I don't know if it's strange or we're the normal ones that yeah, that our players just don't change between clubs. Um, whereas in even in not so much nowadays, but in in most other leagues, they just don't care. They just they'll play for anyone. Um, 
I think I think the most notable memory for me of Pirlo, apart from just the passing, um, because he didn't really have standout moments purely because he was he wasn't that type of player. But as you say, that Penenka penalty, um, and even the quote after it where he just said he had to obviously put put heart. He was just looking too confident and too cocky and put him back. And knock him <laughs> a peg or two. It's just uh, it's just that arrogance and typical kind of that just that smug Italian look that he had with the hair and just. Um, yeah, just one of those players that you know they, they don't give you many great moments as such, unless you're just watching them and you can just appreciate what they give. Is that if that's a if that's a fair comment? Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of like this. This is going to sound so like wanky and snobby, but he's like he's he was a player for like a sort of he's a, he's like a. A, a purists player, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like as you say, he wasn't. Yeah, there was no, nothing majorly flash or anything about him. But it was just, if you sort of know, you know, and understand a bit about football, a player like him, they don't come along that often, and he was just beautiful to watch. Yeah. No, it's hard to argue there. Um, well, with the, the solid back four, you, you kind of you needed that kind of. Not flair player, but the the passer of the ball. Um, so who have we got going to the the right side of him in the in your diamond? Okay, so going to the right side of him, and it's kind of he may be playing slightly out of position, but I had to have him in there. And and it's this is the, the guy that I've settled on my captain. Uh, love him or hate him, but you can't deny he was a, well for me he was a great player. It's Roy Keane. Now. I kind of have a, a weird sort of complicated <laughs> feelings about Roy Keane because I remember as, a, you, you know, the teenager growing up, I absolutely hated him. I hated Manu. I hated watching them. They got away with everything. But as I sort of, you know, when I look back now and, and think of him as a player, just what a phenomenal f- a footballer he actually was. I, I think, again, people can sort of forget that he how good a player he actually was. He wasn't just someone who went around kicking the shit out of the opposition. Now he could, as we all know, as Alfie Gahanan certainly knows, he's more than capable of sticking his foot in and hurting someone. But he, you, you wouldn't play for that long in a successful team like that under a manager like Ferguson if that was all you had in uh, to your game. You had to be a good player as well. Especially back in his... Certainly his, Forest days and his early United days when he really was the sort of old school box to box midfielder. You get up and down uh, the pitch all day and chipping with goals. But and as a leader as well, like that, you, you think of that midfield in '99. You know the sort of famous you know, Beckham, Keane, Scholes uh, gigs. It they all balanced each other out perfectly and they complemented each other well. But I don't necessarily know if without uh, that character of Roy Keane in there could they have I mean they'd have still at least still won things but could they have won the treble that season without Roy Keane being at the heart of that team um, you know obviously in his later career sort of injuries I think maybe just caught up with him too much in the last sort of latter end of his United career and certainly when he went to Celtic you know he, he did he did tail off but I just think, as again, as, as a leader and a, a force of nature in, in that team, 
I, I just thought he was, I can look, look back now and appreciate just, just what what a real player he was. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Dave, I'll let you give your thoughts on Keane before I add my, my um, paragraph, paragraph on it. It's difficult, isn't it? Because he, he's obviously an incredible player, which we can appreciate, but as someone who was on the receiving end of his teams throughout the 90s, he was... You know, I hated him, to be quite honest with you. Um, and after I admit, I enjoyed that he missed the Champions League final after the suspension and he came off injured in the FA Cup final after 10 minutes, so good. <laughs> um, but then again, he won everything, didn't he? So I guess he had the last laugh. But um, he, um, I think anyone who purposely injures an opponent isn't worth the time of day, no matter how good you are. I just, I've got limited time for that. I think it's uh, as snidey as you can get on a football field, um, and I don't care how much he's won and how much, how much, you know, how funny he is as a pundit. He'll always be an arsehole to me. Yeah, taking nothing away from anything you've just said there. Um, just going on on football ability. I think Roy Roy Keane's the best midfielder, best centre midfielder, especially the Premier League scene. Um, the, the talk's always between Gerrard, Scholes and Lampard, like who was the best. Scholes can never be in a conversation because without Roy Keane, he would be nowhere near the level that he was at. Um, the the Champions League semi-final is the greatest centre midfielder performance I've seen by an individual um, to the point he was also knew he was suspended for the final and nothing changed. He still carried that United team um, through that game. Um you mentioned leadership, Simon. Just he was just a winner. Like what, whatever your thoughts on the, the injuring a player or how he, how he held himself, he just didn't do losing. Um, and we all hated him during his time at United. But like, there's very few of us who wouldn't have took him at our own club during that time either. Um, yeah, I mean that that's. Well, I mean, when I, I was kind of at the beginning when I was talking about him, saying I have very complicated feelings about him. He, he was the one player that that I wasn't sure whether I should put in the team just because of of how you know the, this you know the thing with Harland and how much I, I hated him at, at the time. But I just I've just tried to base it purely on as well like footballing ability as well with things like that and. The overall picture of what he did for United, as you say, he, he was just a, an out-and-out winner. And I think there's a number of play, you know, the number of former United players um, from around that time. Whenever you see them in interviews and they're asked about, you know, the best captains they played under or the most, you know, influential players that they were at United, nine times out of ten, they'll always say Roy Keane. What people forget about Keane is how good a footballer he was at Forest. As yeah. well, you know, before going to United, and obviously, even well, obviously at the start of United, as we've seen in '99, like you know, he was that you know kind of marauding centre midfielder. It wasn't. It was obviously the the latter part of his career. Well, not the latter part, but just the older he got, he's kind of sat deeper and just kind of became the the destroyer um, and stopped the what he was what he was known for. <coughs> Man United signed him for initially. Yeah, exactly, and I mean, kind of. Another sort of bone of contention that I have with him, uh, so I've, with a surname like O'Regan, I've got Irish family, do you know what I mean? And what he did in 2002, 
I'm I'm still conflicting about that. Like, I, I don't know. Was he right to have done what he did? Was he was it disgusting to have walked out of his country? I, it's he's a very very complicated figure, isn't he? But he's he's box office though. And then obviously his career in punditry, which is um, which is yeah. something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Well, what what are two in midfield? So who have we got partnering those two? So on the left side of the midfield diamonds, I've gone for Zinedine Zidane. Um, now I'll, I'll be honest. I, I kind of I that this may just be my own naivety for how I followed football when I was young, or maybe I was just a bit too young. But I hadn't really heard an awful lot about him until France 98. I mean, I, I, just, I, I didn't watch much European football. I mean, I was only like nine or ten at the time, so I wasn't watching Europe too much. Um, so France 98 was sort of it was my first like uh, awakening to watching Zidane. And, you know, obviously he had scored the two goals in the final and he, you know, he uh, played a major part in them winning that tournament. Um, but then when when he went from Juventus to Real Madrid, that it was around that time that I sort of started properly taking notice of uh, teams in Europe and Champions League football. And just, I for me, um, sort of Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo aside, um, in my lifetime, I, Zidane... As I say, if you take them two and put them to one side, for me, Zidane is the best player I've seen in my lifetime uh, watching football. He just some of the things he could do on the ball were unbelievable. I always remember, was it? I think it was Euro 2000. I think uh, was it Portugal they played in the semi-final in Euro 2000, or was that 2004? Can't remember which tournament it was now, but it, he absolutely just. He ran the show completely. I think there was one, that one touch that always gets played in highlight reels of him. I think Bartes launched a big yeah, long throw yeah, out to yeah. him and that sort of little flick through his legs, turn on the halfway line to get away. The little pirouettes he could do on the ball and obviously that goal against uh, Leverkusen uh, in the Champions League final. Is that about Hamden? It was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that, you know that's with that's with his weaker foot as well. Weaker, the ball yeah. looped up. So, I mean, well, I, mean, I suppose you can argue did Zidane have a weaker foot? But <laughs> the ball it looped up so high from from the initial sort of cross, and it just the control to to control the ball like that with with that power first time. And I think he come off the underside of the bar, if I remember right as well, which always looks better. Yeah. It was just. Just a, a phenomenal player to say for me, the the two freaks that are still currently playing aside, the best player that, I, that, I, that I've seen play football. Uh, Dave, I think you're about the similar age to me, aren't you? Um, I think. Did you watch the the Italian show, Goal Show, the yeah. weekend? Oh yeah, yeah. that was a staple of a Saturday morning, wasn't it? And then they had the, the live yeah. game on a Sunday. So um, with Sedan, though, I mean, you mentioned Chapman earlier to give. Simon, some some credit in terms of like how Zidane came from not unknown but came out of nowhere. I think it was ninety six, ninety seven. He was classified as a, a defender or a midfielder, left centre, and he was he was at Juventus, but he was fairly average. And obviously by ninety seven, ninety eight, he was he was seen as being one of the best players in the game, and obviously went on to have a great World Cup. So I think as 
he was always good. He was in the Euro '96 squad, but I think he really came into his own in that in the couple of years following that. Yeah, I mean that that finals where he kind of made sure the world knew who he was, wasn't he? Like that was like the defining moment. Um, just it was just yeah, it was just that Italian show the Saturday morning. That's where the name came for me. But for for me, Zidane became the you know the superstar. When, as you say, Simon, you know when when he signed for Madrid at the time. Yeah. Uh, because uh, at, during that time, it was like the Madrid signed like who's who. You know, it really was the true Galacticos era. Um, well, yeah, I still I, think he was. He played the better football at Juve. Um, I think he had the better seasons and the better moments. But just to pull on that all white, I mean, I've been a massive fan of Madrid since I was a kid I just I fell in love with the kit um, and and like yourself Sedan's just been one of my whether you class him as like the best or he, he, he's, he must be up there for for most that's just a joy to watch throughout anybody our our age um, especially um, growing up Sedan was just was just a genius as you say that that one the, either the, the round the world on the ball or that flick yeah that he played, he was just so synonymous, and you knew what he was doing, but you couldn't stop it. Um, just, just filthy. And and also, it's uh, alongside Bosic and Keane in my team. It's, it's another nutcase in the team, which is always good. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is very true. That uh, obviously the, the infamous headbutt. Um, um, just that. What a way to end a fabulous career. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. If you're going to go out, go out memorable. Like he, he went out, he he dinked the keeper um, at, from the penalty spot, yeah, know, off the bar man, and then headbutts the player. Can you imagine if um, France had actually gone on to win that? That would have been the greatest send off ever. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been it. <laughs> I, I I heard some the night about the headbutt and. He's going to completely annoy me that I can't remember the name of the French player. But there was a French player in that squad who apparently, at the end of the game, when they went into the dressing room, went mental at Zidane and saying to him, it's all right for you, you've already got one of those winners' medals. I may (laughs) never get the chance, thanks a lot. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, that that takes some some testicles to do that. Gosh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) This is a, a, a fairly um, say mental team, shall we say? Um, who's the who's the the centre attacking the the creative force in this midfield? So the creative force, and this was a, a real tough one um, to go for. It's a case of heart or heads, and I've let my heart rule my heads here. Although I still think I've picked a very very good player. It's the magic man, Paul Merson. Yes, and the reason I've gone for him was. He, up until the emergence of um, Jack Grealish in the last couple of years, Merson, for me, was the best player that I'd seen play in the Villa shirt. He he came to us quite late in his career. I think I think he was past 30, I think, when, when we signed him. Um, and he was just phenomenal. Like, I... I, I saw, I'd seen him do things with the football at Villa Park that I hadn't seen other players do, which, okay, admittedly, may not be the, the boldest game of all time. Um, but his, his, uh, his passing range, uh, not, not just like the cute little through balls or anything like that, but he could pick up the ball from deep, look up, 
and he could ping a 40, 50, 60-yard pass perfectly into the run of someone onto someone's chest. He scored a, a quite a decent amount of goals for us, if I remember right. Some absolutely spectacular ones. I remember it was a game maybe around 2000, playing away at Everton. It was on a, it's a super Sunday 4 o'clock kickoff, and it was one of the worst games of football that I ever saw. And in the 90th minute, Merson scored a goal that he, he just, the quality of that goal belongs nowhere near the quality of the game that preceded it. I think he, he picked the ball up, he kind of ricocheted around maybe 35, 40 yards from goal. He just took it on his chest, a quick look up to see the keeper off his line, and just hit this looping volley. And he was inch perfect. Um, and, you know, he, he, he did stuff like that. Not not all the time, but he, he did stuff like that on a fairly consistent basis at Villa. Um, I, you know, and also, I think, because of how he is in Soccer Saturday now, I think, again, maybe for people of a certain age, maybe younger you know, football fans, maybe just see him as like a, a bit of a figure of fun and don't appreciate how good a player he was. Not, you know, obviously he was good for us, but how good he was at Arsenal? I mean, I think he won Young Player of the Year, um, PFA Young Player of the Year when, when he was uh, quite young there. He also, I think, is the... If he's not... I think he might be the only outfield England player to have been selected for World Cup whilst not playing in the top division. He, he played in the Championship for Middlesbrough the season leading into France 98. And he went to that tournament and came on and scored in, in the shootout against Argentina. It you know, didn't make much of a difference because he went out. But he was... Um, and yeah, as I said, I think because of sort of how he is uh, now, you know, cause, I mean, he's a funny guy as well. I think he's maybe seen more of as a, as a figure of fun and by not by everyone but by a certain generation of fans they just won't appreciate what a fantastic footballer he was um yeah like i, I can't say much on merson i i kind of was in that category where i didn't truly appreciate how good he was it wasn't until um the man who will pass you on to next who had paul merson in his team um and spoke obviously about him very highly, and then that was a that made me go and look up him more after talking about him due to this podcast. Um, so, Dave, I mean, you were a, a massive proponent of Paul Merson. I'll let you take away your thoughts on him. Yeah, I mean, I love Merson. Um, as you said, I mean, I don't want to repeat what size you said, but when I was on, I made all the, the same points you made really about obviously going to the World Cup as a as a not top level player. Um, some of the goals he scored for. Pretty much every club he played for were ridiculous, really. And uh, I agree that he probably gets seen as a bit of a figure of fun um, because he can't say some players' names properly. But what I do think is that actually when he does manage to string his sentences together, he, he, he talks quite a bit of sense. Um, he obviously knows the game. I don't think any doubt about that. It's just he has a bit tr- a bit of trouble with uh, some of the more complex names and things. But um, I, I love the guy. I think he's great. Yeah, I mean, for uh, for my 21st birthday, my older brother uh, got me tickets for this event at, uh, at Villa Park in like one of the suites there, and it was it was like a it was a, like three course meal thing, and there was and then uh, like Merson was sort of doing like a an after dinner speech thing, like with you know stories, and uh, he did a Q and A as well, 
And um, we were kind of at the, at the start of it. He was on the table next to us, actually. And at the start, everyone was told, you know, there'll, there'll be opportunities to, to get photos and whatever with him. But, you know, don't don't be going up to his table constantly. But I, I didn't pay attention. That for. It's, my, it's my birthday. Paul obviously wanted to talk to me. So <laughs> I, I went up and, and I, had a, I had a little chat with him at his table. And it, he was such a nice bloke as well. Like He was really sound. He, he, he took his time to speak to everyone who went up to, to speak to him. And, and some of the stories he tells, I mean, they, they're too long to go into on here. Maybe we'll save them for another day, but he has got some unbelievable stories. The one quick one I'll, I'll give you was uh, um, someone uh, got up and asked a question. He said, I, I heard, heard from a source that Jamie Redknapp cost you £20,000 regarding Harry taking the Newcastle job back in the day. And Merce just smiled and went, you've got a cracking source there. <laughs> he said, basically, he phoned Jamie Redknapp up and said, what's happening? Then is your dad taking the job? And Jamie said, yeah, definitely. He's definitely going up there, lump on it. And then I can't remember who it was that you'd have appointed at the time. Um, but whoever it was that eventually got appointed, Merce said he rang Redknapp up. And was like, what, what, what happened, Jay? And Jamie went, yeah, Dad realised it would take quite a while to get back to Bournemouth from Newcastle every day, so he decided to say no. <laughs> oh, boy. The ridiculous, <laughs> the ridiculous thing about that is that uh, apparently, I mean, up here it was reported like, like that, that Redknapp had pretty much taken the job. And then totally out of the blue, we reappointed Kevin Keegan. And it was speculated that that was kind of why the deal hadn't gone through. Because he, um, obviously Kevin Keegan was available. Mike Ashley at the time wasn't hated, so he obviously got his man, but... Yeah, it would have been a very different Newcastle thing had we got Harry Redknapp. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> um, I'm, that's a hell of a midfield. Pirlo, Keane, Zidane and Merson. It's not bad, uh, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all right. Um, right, so who's who's, who's the first striker leading the, leading the line with goals? OK, so the first striker, and so obviously I've got two strikers to pick from. On my list, there's seven that are written down. There's <laughs> what... There's, this this one was straight away in there, and it's the original Ronaldo. Um, I, I remember, as I say, that France 98, I've been 10, 11 years old, and I'd, I'd seen bits and pieces of him before um, for Inter Milan, because I think the, the season before that, well, that, that summer, actually, the, the season ending 98, I think Inter Milan won the UEFA Cup. Um, with Ronaldo in the final had an you know, absolute barnstorming performance the reason i remember that tournament so well is we actually unbelievably villa got to the quarter final that year we, we lost to atletico madrid so i remember like sort of take as the rounds went on I, I took a bit more interest in that tournament and i just remember watching ronaldo playing for inter and i, I was thinking I, until i'd seen him playing i was thinking oh Maybe we'll win this UEFA Cup, <laughs> and then and then I, I saw a couple of games with him, and I thought, do you know what? If we end up playing against him, he's going to absolutely destroy us. And then France '98, it was you know unbelievable in that tournament. What what happened in in the final um, beforehand? You know, obviously that 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 completely changed the complexion of that game. Had had there been no issue or anything, and a fully fit. Ronaldo being leading the line from Brazil that day. I don't see anything other than Brazil winning that tournament because he was that good. 
and he kind of showed that again in in 2002 and, and in the meantime he'd had um you know, a couple of really big injuries and to still to come back from them and still have that power that you know, still had a decent turn of pace as well even after those injuries and scored uh i can't remember he, i think he, he finished that 2002 tournament as a top scorer if if i'm right i think he did Ooh, yeah yeah but they, uh, and, and he was, I think, up until Miroslav Klose took, took over in 2004, I think he had the records for most goals over a period over World Cup tournaments as well. Um, but one of my main memories, like main games that I can remember, um, was when he was at Real Madrid and they were playing Man United. I, think, I don't know if it was the quarterfinal or the semis of the Champions League. And he, I think they, Madrid had won the first leg uh, in in Madrid, maybe two or three one, so United were up against it already. And then the return leg at Old Trafford, he just and you know this is a good Man U team as well. He tore them to shreds, got a hat trick and, and got a standing ovation coming off the pitch. And he just when he goes through one on one, he did you know one step over, two step over, however many step overs it took to put the keeper on his ass, he'd do. And as soon as the keeper went down. Rounded him, thank you very much, into the back of the net. Um, for me, probably, uh, unless you're classing Cristiano Ronaldo as a striker, for me, probably the best striker in my lifetime that I've seen playing football. Um, yeah, look, it's, well, even if you're including Cristiano, I think Ronaldo, as a, as a forward, as a striker, is just... Ridiculous. The, he, his year at Barcelona um, was maybe the greatest season in history. Um, I mean, <laughs> in mind the, the level at the time, um, the type of defenders that you're playing against, it was just something else. Yeah, what, whatever happened at France 98, we'll never know um, how that final would have went. But to come back in 2002, as you said, um, the club career was ridiculous. Even as he got bigger um, when he was still playing at Madrid and that, his finishing never changed. It was, it was something else. Um, I've been quick to say in this podcast, I was never a Ronaldo fan. I, I, I never liked him growing up because because everyone else did. Um, yeah. But the first player I can remember to have like boots that everybody wanted because of him, you know, had his own boots. That yeah. stupid haircut that he had, the half moon. <laughs> um, people actually had that as a haircut. That's how iconic he was. Um I was listening to Jonathan Woodgate on a podcast um, just last week, and he can't speak highly enough for how nice a guy Ronaldo was as well. Um, just, just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Um, one of which I don't care. Like, like Ronaldo and Messi are arguably the greatest players we've ever seen, and um, whether we see anyone better than those two, but. For Ronaldo, just the the skill, the pace, the the finishing, we will never see a player like that again. Like maybe Messi and Ronaldo can do more overall, but just for that that number nine, um, just special. I mean, Dave, yeah. you had them in your team as well. I mean, you can't speak highly enough of them as well. So yeah, I'll let you take it away. Uh, it's just as, as you said, really, just an outstanding strike of our generation. Where when you were a kid growing up and. Other than the Italian league, you know, we didn't really see the Spanish league and things and the Dutch league before that and all he heard of was with this striker who was scoring 
more or less a goal a game. Um, so when he moved into Milan, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, um, football Italia, everyone could see Ronaldo up close for the first time, and it you know it just cemented his, his legacy really. And that UEFA Cup final, um, I think, it was back in the day when BBC One or Two used to show it. And as you say, he just he ran Lazio ragged. I think that's the game where he scored the um, the step over goal around the keeper. Um, yeah, Bobby that, Robson. No, Bobby was at Barca with him. Um, oh right, sorry, but, yeah. But it ended. There's a very famous goal where he, he literally sits the keeper down with a step over and just falters around him. Um, I've got the the kit from that game with his name on the back, and it's it's pr- probably my most valuable piece of clothing. So <laughs> it's. it's um, <laughs> I, I love the guy. It's just a shame that we didn't see more of him over here um, yeah. in his peak because I think obviously he got injured um, and he came back and was still very, very good, but he wasn't as good as he as he, as he was before the injury. Yeah, it's, it's frightening to think what we could have spoke about. Um, yeah, that that sums it up perfect, doesn't it? I mean, did, we're talking you know, about him and and what he did in his career, and that's with a couple of quite catastrophic injuries, so, yeah, just what what could he have been? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not much more we could add on him. I mean, he's he's, he's arguably, he, he's in the conversation for the greatest player, let alone just greatest striker of all time. Uh, I think the, the thing yeah. that puts him down probably is longevity um, due to injuries, which is um, he just, if only he'd got, like, the way run. Cristiano Ronaldo's body kind of has yeah. to imagine what he could have achieved or, or Messi's body who's you know really no serious injuries I think um, just phenomenal um, what poor boy's got to kind of live up to him and play next to him so my last one and again you know as I said I had seven strikers uh, written down but the one I've gone for um, slightly Marble, not not necessarily a Marmite uh, character, because there's a lot of people that don't like him. But I'm going to go for, uh, and I believe, as we discussed off pods, that he might be a first pick, uh, <laughs> Michael Owen. And the reason I'm going for him is, you know, again, he kind of, similar to Merson in the sense that he's, he's kind of seen as, in some quarters, a bit of a, a figure of fun now, because, you know, you a lot of people just associate him with being injured all the time. It, it, again, it, this is sort of a younger, maybe, generation of fans. Just think of him as someone who, who was always injured and is a horrific commentator slash pundit. <laughs> but I, I remember him as just being this phenomenal boy wonder. Um, France 98, obviously. You know, that's... Uh, the, the I think the year, the season before, he'd obviously had a... a you know, very good sort of breakthrough season with Liverpool, um, which so people, you know, it, certainly in this country, were certainly well aware of him. But I think France 98, he, he just announced himself to the world with, with that goal against Argentina. Um, I mean, he was just, he was so fearless. The pace he had, I mean, it, it just absolutely terrifies anyone he came up against. And I think people forget that he, he's a Ballon d'Or winner. Do you know, uh, it is, uh, there was a period of time from probably 98, 99 to 2001, 2002, where you could have made a, a, a very strong argument that he was the, certainly the best striker in, in world football at that time. 
he he was unbelievable. You you look back at some of the uh, shows that that Skype on. Uh, do you ever see like the uh, like the one hundred goals club? Yeah. Or or uh, Gary Neville's soccer box when he was on that. And you look back at you know certainly his his earlier days. Uh, you know when he was at Liverpool before he injuries unfortunately did him, and just the quality of the goals. It, not, not, it's not just all about his, his pace, which is obviously a big asset, but his finishing, he was such a clinical finisher. He was one of the, those, you know, that, that sort of two, three-year period. I hated playing against Liverpool because you'd, he was one of those players that he just needed one chance. Even if it was a half chance, you knew he was going to stick it away. And it, it's a shame that injuries sort of hampered him in the way that they did. Because he... You know, even when when he went to United, he um, you know, obviously he, he wasn't phenomenally successful there. But when you think that that goal he scored, that last minute winner in the Manchester derby, there's yeah. very very few players who, even before the goal, when when Ryan Giggs I think takes the ball down, Owen he peels he peels off to the sides, so he's got plenty of space, and he he, he knows that as that ball comes to him. He already knows he's going to the back of the net. But the first touch, the composure of that first touch was to get the ball not only under control, but then perfectly weighted into his path. So then just think it past Shea Given. There's, there's very few players in, in a game like that, that time of the game, have that just ice cold running through their veins and composure to stick it away. He, as a finisher, he was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, Dave, I mean, your thoughts will be kind of contrasting as well, um, depending if it's club or country. Um, but thoughts <laughs> on Owen? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because he, as Sai says, he was, he was brilliant forward and one of the best finishes we've produced for, for, for probably our generation, to be quite honest with you. And as we said off air, there's not many English players have won the Ballon d'Or in our lifetime. And it's not, you know, something they give out um, very easily. So... For that, you know, you've got to say he was, he's a great player and a good pick on that on that sense. But obviously, as, as a Newcastle fan, it's, my memory of him is, is tainted somewhat. I mean, obviously, he scored loads of goals against us for Liverpool. <laughs> we got him, yeah. and I was I was over the moon to get him. Um, again, he'd been the best player in the world all four years previous, and all right, even if he was, wasn't that good anymore, he was still better than, than the majority of the strikers out there who we could have attracted. So I was delighted to get him I thought he was very good to begin with but he, he slowly lost interest over the years and by the end he was basically picking up 100 grand a week for not really being that bothered and he got given the captaincy and we got relegated and he didn't give a single fuck um, and I think he's obviously had books and things out which you know a lot of players release books and try and like clear these things up but he has no remorse whatsoever um, well he bought the end <laughs> well, exactly, and uh, I think our physio, who'd been our physio for a long time, released a book, uh, and basically there's a game towards the end of um, our relegation season where Shearer, who was his mate, who was in charge, um, and Owen had a slight injury, but the physio said, you're all right to play, just, you know, it, it's a little knock, you'll be all right, and Owen said, I'm not going to play because if I get injured, I'm out of contract and I won't get a new club, and we got beat 1-0 and we're relegated the following week, so... Um, I think he's, a, as a person, he's an arsehole, but he was a great player at the time. I yeah, I can't as a Liverpool fan. I can't. Um, I'd I'd watch to that. Like he, he was phenomenal for us. Um, he chose to leave 
to to Madrid. I think like I mean it's kind of hard to argue the the levels between Madrid and ourselves at the time um, was was gone. I mean there's a cup final named after him. How good he was in the Arsenal game. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was going to bring that up and and ask you about that. I mean that just like I mean because Arsenal Arsenal should have won that game. Yeah, but you have if you if you've got a player. Like Michael Owen, he can. I mean that that winning goal. There's not many people he he could have he could have done that. Like that that the 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 golfing class between Arsenal and Liverpool at that time was was the difference between like Liverpool now to to a Newcastle type to, to, to Arsenal now. Good, yeah, well, no, not not quite that much. Come on. Like, <laughs> Um, but you know there was a massive golfing class, and and genuinely, like, there's no other striker we could have put in that day that that would have won that final for us. Um, it's, it's it's easy to forget, as like you both mentioned, like the Ballon d'Or, um, and yeah. even at Madrid it didn't work out. Um, he said in his book that his plan all along was to go for. One two year try out. It was one of those opportunities that you couldn't say no to. Um, he, he said, and I think it's it's been uh, verified that you know he he tried to come back as well, but you guys, Dave, um, outbid us, um, and we weren't willing to to well, match your offer. That's the other thing. He was absolutely desperate to come back to the point where he was pretty much begging to come back to Liverpool, and obviously we offered a little bit more, and Rafa was quite wise to say, well. We've actually got we've moved on from from Owen's type of player now, which he was on the decline by that point. Um, yeah. And obviously we were stupid enough to pay for whack and everything else that goes with it. But no, it's just I think as you say, from Liverpool fans, I think he's not talked about enough. Um, purely purely because he went to Man United, which is it's strange that like that that's what we hold our hat on, just because. So he's not allowed to go to another hmm. rival to, to earn a wage just because we don't want him. Um, but, go on, do, do you know, like, I think that's petty. Um, that, it's but, like what we were saying earlier uh, about Pirlo, how, you know, uh, there's certain you know, places on the continent where it doesn't matter if you go from rival to rival, whereas <laughs> in, in this country, it is, it is a very big thing. It's not like he even went to them. From, exactly, yeah. You know, it's like we, we literally refused to have him back. Um, <laughs> and yet we're, we're upset because he went he went there. Um, which I find strange to say. I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, I, I never was. I never... Like, he was always a great player. Um, but he was never really that player that you you felt close to. Like, I, I, Robbie Fowler was my guy. Um Mm. You know, he he was the cops' golden boy. I even had a bit of affiliation for Collymore back then. Ah, uh, damn the man! <laughs> yeah, and and Marketeer and players like that. Owen was always just—I don't know—he just he never seemed one of us. If that makes sense. Was he a Liverpool fan as, as a child, or was he Everton? I'd be lying if I gave you an answer either I'm, way. I'm pretty sure he was Everton because, um, yeah. again, towards the end of his time with us, I think Everton tried to buy him, but um, Joe Kinnear said no. So there you go. So everybody was sensible by Newcastle Day. Was <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying in this conversation? Yeah, pretty much. Um, like, in fairness to Newcastle, like the okay, yeah, in hindsight, it's not worked out, but the 
it meets it. I mean, if you could have got uh, three quarters of what he was, yeah, that, that's a great addition for the price. Because uh, yes, he was expensive, but it, what it was it was in that margin where the gamble could have paid off and been been brilliant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, without turning this into a Newcastle themed podcast, um, at the time, Sunes wanted. Nelka, who was kind of at Fenerbahce and unhappy, and um, we end up with Owen instead because Freddie Shepard and probably Shearer pushed him. Um, obviously, you know, with hindsight, probably would have turned out differently with Nelka, but again, he wasn't exactly Mr. Stable, was he? So yeah. <laughs> yeah. he he wouldn't have been there for much more than a season and a half either, would he? And like realistically, Nelka, he would have gone, gone to Newcastle at the time and and done what we know he's capable of doing, then. Chelsea would have probably just come and took him like they did off Bolton. Well, that's true. But I mean, Sunes was gone, what, probably eight months after that signing, so yeah. who knows what would have happened. That's true, yeah. Right, Simon, well, that's your 11. Um, you mentioned you had about 20 players for each position. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give us three or four players who quite uh, didn't quite make the cut? Yeah, so... Um... One of them was uh, Gareth Barry uh, from like one of the video places didn't quite make the cut. I I would have liked him in there because he was a really good player, but there's, there's, I couldn't displace Pirlo for Gareth Barry. Much <laughs> love, love you, Barry, but I think Andre Pirlo needs to get that. The, uh, the the Merson one that I had to toss the coin with was with Ronaldinho. I was really close to going for him, but I just I had to go for the magic man. And then, yeah, the, the, the strikers one, as I say, I had, I had seven strikers to choose from. Uh, a couple of those, Batistuta, Bergkamp, David Villa, Dwight York, all on the list. But, yeah, plumbed for uh, Owen and Ronaldo in the end. Uh, Dwight York, would, uh, not Dwight York, sorry. Um, David Villa would have been an interesting one. He's a player, again, I don't think he's talked about enough. Um, yeah. I would, have, I would have enjoyed the Gareth Barry pick, just purely on the Rafa Benitez trying to swap. Um, Zabio Alonso for Gareth Barry um, <laughs> like I'll give Rafa tons and tons of credit but that, that decision will um, we'll just ne- never understand, we'll never understand. <laughs> what could have been if that had happened right? <laughs> um, that's a yeah that's a great team um, I'll quickly go over it again just to make sure I've wrote this down right so we've got Mark Bosnich in goal Mark Delaney yeah. and Ashley Cole at right and left back Tony Adams and Hugo Ekiog as your centre-half pairing. Mm-hmm. We've got Pirlo at the base with Roy Keane and Zidane um, either side. Paul Merson playing all those through balls to arguably the fastest strike partnership you may ever see. <laughs> Owen and Ronaldo. Um, and obviously Roy Keane being, being captain fantastic in there. Yeah. Um, excellent, excellent team. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Simon. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it's been really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And um, let, just let everybody know where to find you. Uh, yeah, uh, on Twitter, at Sio Regan. And Dave, thank you again for joining us as, as my co-host. Um, I'm guessing it probably won't be the last time throughout the series of this. Um, and let everybody know where to find yourself. Uh, thanks, Ali. I'm uh, on Twitter, at CM9798. And uh, cheers, Sai. I've enjoyed uh, listening to your team. Uh, cheers, thank you. Nice one. And you can get us at Man in the Post on all your social media platforms. Um, I'm not sure when this will be out, so I'm not going to prompt any pause. Just check out all the guys that play. Uh, our, us free. Um, we do the weekend review show. 
we have Chris, Adam and the gang doing the Thursday night show and we have Dave and Ross with it, the Chapman shows. So just give everybody a, everybody a follow and check out all the back catalogue. Um, again, thank you very much, gentlemen. And always remember to keep your man in the post.